Galatians chapter 6, and we're just going to pick up there in verse 7. Do not be deceived, Paul writes. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father, we are the circumcision and made so by You, the great circumciser of hearts. And Lord, we thank You for what You've done in our own heart and life. And Lord, we are those who desire to glory in Christ Jesus. We just sang that. All glory be to Your Son. Lord, You know the extent to which we put confidence in the flesh. Lord, we don't desire that at all. We desire to live in the resurrection power of Your Spirit. Lord, because You delivered us from sin and death. And we're thankful we have Your Word. We think we have Your promise that You use this, this strange thing of preaching to, Lord, do holy transactions and work in transformative ways, Lord, that we just can't comprehend. We pray You'd do that in our midst. We pray You'd come in the Spirit's power, help people where they're at, give us what we need. Lord, guide my tongue, my thoughts. Lord, may this hour prove to be profitable and, and just what we, we sang, uh, to the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ. In His name we ask. Amen. Well, we've spent the last two messages uh, looking at these first three verses of this paragraph we just read. We partially read anyway. Focusing our attention on this this uh, spiritual farming illustration that Paul has presented here. And today we're we're just going to be looking at verse 9. Where Paul sort of he narrows down his focus to those truly seeking to sow by the Spirit. Let us, Paul says. He includes himself in the address. Let us, us, us being uh, spirit sowers, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. We, you and me, Uh, Those of us who possess the Spirit, Paul says, we will reap. So so Paul's still in this this farming illustration mode, uh, drawing our attention to the reaping side of those sowing to the Spirit. It's very important for us to realize that everything created in this world, brethren, everything was created by the living God for the purpose of of communicating some greater spiritual reality. That this farming illustration wasn't some, some neat little idea that Paul came up with. I know, I, 
I got, I got it. I'm, I got a good farming illustration. I think about, about talking a little bit about planning. We'll, we'll draw some spiritual uh, parallel to that. No, Paul is simply falling right in line following his master who said, the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus was the master at this. Why? Because He created it all. He, he knew what He was doing. And He created it for a purpose. The, this whole world, brethren, the plants, the animals, everything growing, food, all physics, it's, it, it, the physical reasons for which they exist are actually secondary. They exist for spiritual reality that's projected from everything that's created. They were created so that by the means of doing what they do and, and being what they are, we might learn and understand some very important spiritual truth. The agricultural lesson of sowing and reaping is it's conveyed to us, brethren, as a fixed spiritual reality. A fixed spiritual law that is as certain as the fixed laws of created nature. In fact, that's, a, that's precisely why they were created. Just like, just like gravity guarantees that if I let go of this pen, what's going to happen? It's going to drop, right? It's going to fall. It's going to fall to the ground. And not one of you are going to be surprised by that. You're going to fully expect it. You're not going to be shocked. You expect that if I let go, that happens. It's a fixed law of nature. Nobody questions it. That same kind of gravity, if you will, applies to Paul's illustration here. As certain as gravity overcame that pen right there, so certain will be the outcome of what you sow in this life. Let me just remove the ambiguity of the illustration what you do and what you don't do has every single thing to do with your day of judgment. Don't, don't let errant ideas of justification cloud that reality. And this is the, that's the powerful teaching of this paragraph. If you get anything out of this series of Galatians, I hope you get this fixated in your mind. What you do and how you live really matters. It's interesting, isn't it? That Paul, Paul spends so much time and effort in this letter strongly speaking against doing works of the law only to end the letter strongly speaking about doing, doing good. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's, that is the emphasis here in verse 9 and 10. Doing good. That's what sowing to the Spirit looks like. Doing good. And this is why you don't want to think of this letter of Galatians as, as, as some contrast between faith against works. That's not what, what Galatians is. What we have is a contrast between living under the law, Torah, versus living life by the Spirit. Big difference. The one is doing a doing lived out by trying to produce a life within. The other is a life within lived out doing what life in the Spirit does. Good. Good things. There's so much more I could say to that, but, but what we do really matters. 
I want to break down verse 9 here into three real simple thoughts, um, which really follows the natural flow of Paul's instruction here. I've, I've entitled my message, Three Realities to Remember When Sowing to the Spirit. And this is a rare moment of alliteration for me, as I'm going to cover this verse in three headings that start with the letter C. One, the command of this verse. Two, the consolation of this verse. And three, the caution of this verse. First, the command of this verse. I mean, it's right there as plain as day. And let us not grow weary in doing good. This is reality number one that we as Christians need to remember and be cognizant of throughout our Christian lives the danger of growing weary. Don't grow weary, brother, sister. This is the inspired Paul's command here. And again, Paul is addressing all sowers to the Spirit, all Christians, including himself. Paul's no do-as-I-say-but-not-as-I-do leader. You know, we have that out in the world, right? I remember having bosses that were very good at that, but Paul's not that way. Paul commanding even himself here says, let us not grow weary. And do you think the Apostle Paul knew something about weariness? <laughs> Yeah, he tells the Corinthians, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I don't know if I've quite been there. Indeed, we felt that if we had received, we had received the sentence of death. And then later on, he speaks of his experience in many dangers and toils. On frequent journeys, he says, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And you thought you had it bad. Paul knew what it was to be weary from ministry. Both physically and spiritually. But the weariness mentioned here does have more to do with spiritual weariness than it does physical weariness. This is, this is not the kind of weariness that Paul is speaking of. That, you, know, you, you had a long day at the office and you, know, you feel wiped out. You come home, you kick the heels up on the couch and... You know, coming off a long weekend where you were just out and about doing all kinds of things on the go, you had very little rest. Or, or how one might feel as they step outside in the hot summer Texas sun and get zapped by the heat being out there for a couple hours or a couple minutes for some of us. Or how, you know, how one might feel during the holidays, you start binging on some pumpkin pie or. Or you might be prone to like Twizzlers and you knock out a bag of Twizzlers or you have half a roll of cookie dough and you know the, the, the sugar crash feeling, the weariness, the depletion of energy, that kind of weariness. Now this is something far more serious and severe. Paul's talking about people who are on the verge of utter fatigue and exhaustion, spiritually speaking. Someone who's reached the point of spiritual collapse. The word weary is the Greek word 
Enkakeo. Uh, Strong's defines this to be weak or bad. That is by implication to fail in heart, to faint as it were. Thayer's lexicon, to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, exhausted. And every time you in the New Testament you come upon the, upon that uh, the admonition of do not lose heart. That is this same Greek word translated weary here for us. You recall in, in, in Luke 18, 1, Luke says that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought not what? They ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the same Greek word we have here, weary. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says, having, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Fifteen verses later, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Each of those instances, Paul is using this same Greek word translated weary in our text. Then we find Paul exhorting the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, the very same thing. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This is a great concern of Paul's. Most of you are familiar with the term burnout, right? This is a person so tired, so mentally fatigued by all the battles that take place on the many different fronts in the Christian life, all the demands of life and the, the accumulative difficult providences that have come your way, and you're about to hit the wall, so to speak. And again, I, <laughs> I continue to be amazed at the number of times the Lord has allowed the text of this series to providentially fall into my lap in the most fitting time. This has been a passage that I personally have most needed to give my attention to at this particular junction of my own life. And I just, that in itself has been a great encouragement to my soul. I mean, our, our God is incredible. He knows what we need and when we need it. Thankful for that. Okay, so this is all good and well. It's clear from Scripture we're, we're, we're commanded not to grow weary, right? However, that probably surprises some of us, right? Because who here has been able to keep themselves from growing weary? I mean, we're weak, right? We're limited, fallen creatures. We, we, we tire easily. We, we get fatigued. Even the strongest, the fittest, the most robust of us knows what it is to be weary. And I'm not thinking many of us here actually I would, be, I would be surprised if there's anyone here who actually desires to weary themselves. It happens as life happens. It happens as you and I seek to set ourselves toward an orientation of doing good, of doing good to others. Again, this is, this is very important. The weariness here Paul is, is commanding us is to, to guard ourselves against is a weariness in doing good. Paul's exhorting us here, don't let yourself get to the point of growing weary. Brethren, there's a real danger of this. 
And Paul seems to zero zero in here on the on the spirit's fruit of goodness of all the things he could have chosen. We discussed that a little bit when we went over that fruit. That it, it's it's a very broad fruit, kind of overlaps, bleeds in, crosses over into some of the other fruit. It can sort of represent or summarize the whole package of fruit. Like in the case of, of Jesus' life. Luke is, uh, I think it's Luke's Gospel where he sums up Jesus' ministry as He went about doing good. That's a great summary of the ministry of Christ. That's why, Paul, that's why Luke says it. Jesus went about doing good despite His ill treatment, despite the contradiction of sinners, Despite the persecution, despite the unbelief and hard-heartedness of His very own disciples, He did not grow weary. He went about doing good. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Perhaps you think, Well, that's great for Jesus. He was able to keep doing good. He didn't grow weary. He is the Son of God. He didn't have to deal with sin like us. What about me? And what about if I already have become weary? Well, I don't think we want to understand what Paul's saying here is you get weary, Christian, and that's it for you. You're done. It's over. The great danger of growing weary is not the weariness itself, but the potential for unaddressed weariness to take you down and out of the race, to use a different illustration. But but even in keeping with this illustration, the danger of weariness setting in while you're sowing good, you're planting good, you're, you're doing good continuously under the dry, dusty, hot, heat and trial and affliction to the point where you reach spiritual heat exhaustion and collapse or completely taken out of sowing to the Spirit. It's a weariness that says, what's the point? What's the use of continuing on? You know, all I've faced is discouragement after discouragement after discouragement and disappointment after disappointment. You know, where's the towel? I'm throwing it in. I'm done. I'm out of here. It's... It's a weariness that quits. Which we'll see when we get to the end of this verse. Quits sowing to the Spirit in faith. Quits pursuing their neighbor's good. Paul's commanding here, don't let that happen. Don't give place to that. Don't grow weary. Yes, we can and we do get weary. And we'll continue to do so as long as we're in this flesh. But the admonition here is don't give place to it by letting it grow. That's the key word. What what does grow imply? It implies that something is rooted. Right? You don't get growth in the agricultural world unless what you're growing is rooted in the soil. Paul's saying, don't let your weariness grow roots. Don't let this thing plant itself in the soil of self-pity and carelessness, allowing it to grow. 
That's dangerous. That can be deadly. Because weariness is a weed that could possibly consume and choke out your spiritual life. It's a real danger. A real danger that needs to be uprooted once it's identified and recognized. We'll get to the root killer later on. But before we get to the next point, we should ask ourselves, what makes us weary? And how do I go about how do we go about keeping ourselves from, from a weariness that grows roots? This kind of goes back to the previous hour. Jeff was talking about our own human weakness. I mean, one of the ways, brethren, we get weary is just by simply being human. It's already been alluded to, but we're finite human, frail children of dust. I love that phrase in the hymn. It so captures us. We're not well oiled machines. Sometimes we think we are. But we're flesh and blood with bodies impacted by sin's invasion. Yes, this weariness he's speaking of here is a weariness of our spiritual state. But brethren, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Or if you think man's a dichotomy, either way, we as living beings on earth are souls joined with a body, a fallen body intertwined so intertwined you can't separate the two in this life so much so our fleshly bodies are impacted by our spiritual state and our spiritual state impacted by our physical bodies steve and i were talking about this in our drive back to san antonio how much the human body is just laden with weakness i mean even as i speak what maybe i don't know a fifth of the church or six of the church is out with sickness I'm in Florida and all of a sudden I'm getting all these texts in the grace groups like, boom, this family's out, this person's out, this person's out. It's like, we're weak creatures. We need things like food and rest for survival and well-being. I mean, we just came off a week of prayer and fasting. I'm sure if you did any kind of extensive fasting, your body was letting you know about it, Right? Telling you, I think it's time. I think it's time. I think it's time to get something to eat now. If Steve was bionic, he could have drove all the way from the Everglades all the way to San Antonio and won without any rest. But he didn't. You know, wisdom and love for our families and directed us to take a break and get a good night's sleep and hit the road afresh after recharging our batteries, especially his. He's the one doing all the driving. But we're, we're creatures that have needs and, and the need to be re-strengthened. We need rest. We need sleep. We need recharging through food and sleep. And if we go too long not getting those, we grow weary. We put ourselves in a very detrimental state of being. And you know, we see the importance of this even pointed out in Scripture. A lot of, lot of statements in Scripture. Numerous, but especially just God's care for the poor and how often that's mentioned in Scripture. The imperatives for us to feed our enemies, right? He giveth His beloved sleep. Jesus seeing the need and making the provision for His own disciples to get away and have a little rest. Jesus saw the wisdom of that. 
Jesus feeding the masses, his compassion, recognizing how taxing the heat was and how far away they were removed from getting their next meal. He makes bread come from heaven to feed them. Jesus himself, mind you, he's, he's sinless, but he has a human body. He's, we find him there sleeping in the boat. How about the example of Elijah? After that great showdown and defeat of the prophets of Baal, he, uh, he starts running for his life because Jezebel threatens to kill him. And right after that run, after that escape, he's wore out. We find him sleeping. And he's woke by an angel who charges him to rise and eat. And they're sitting there at his head, this baked cake on a hot rock and, and a jar of water. So he eats the cake, he drinks the water, he lays down for another nap. And the angel comes along a second time and tells him to do the same thing. Why? Because he needs the strength for the journey that lies ahead of him. He needed food, water, and rest. Brother, we can just get we can get weary just from running out of energy, out of fuel, short of sleep. And you know what? Sometimes this probably applies to men more than women, but sometimes you just need to say to yourselves, Hey, what do you think you're doing? I mean, God didn't make you robo Christian. He he didn't. Demonstrate you actually trust the living God by giving your body adequate rest and fuel. And quit thinking everything rests on your sheer ability to bear down and do more. That can really be a sense of pride. We need to seek for grace and humility to recognize and respond to our own limitations. But but typically, the greater component to spiritual weariness is due to facing opposition and hard providence in our life. As Christians, we get the pleasure of daily facing this great three-headed monster of the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three aiming their sinister crosshairs upon any good endeavor you seek to give yourself to. And if you've been a Christian long enough to have the honeymoon season of your conversion in the rearview mirror, then you've experienced an adequate, amount, an adequate level of such opposition. At least you should by now. Or you know, as Adrian Rogers puts it, if you haven't, if you haven't been resisted by the devil, then it means you're, because you're running with the devil. You're in the same direction. Paul affirms that we as Christians are those who wrestle against principalities and powers. A wrestle. It's warfare. It's real. Paul affirms that. We actually have to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. We have to put to death what's earthly in us, this flesh of ours. And we have to consciously fight against conformity to this world that keeps telling you, keeps appealing to you, and keeps telling you what you must do and what, how you must live. It's just a God. We're, we're, brethren, we're submersed in a godless system that just wants to control the way you think. And oh, we got these devices and we got all kinds of avenues of uh, subtle ways 
of attacking the mind and asserting worldly values and worldly thinking and worldly valuing, each of these monsters get very wearisome to engage over and over and over again. It's relentless. We also get weary when we meet very disappointing and discouraging providence in our lives, especially when it comes to us in waves. Boom, boom, boom. Think about Job. Brother, that's when it's so crucial that our perspective be shaped by and gripped by Scripture and not by our fleshly impulses. So crucial. In the week of prayer and fasting and since, the Lord has just brought back to my mind over and over. Proverbs 3.5 and Psalm 37.5 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him. And He will act. Those are so easy to quote. But a whole other thing to apply. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Not not 90%. All of it. That failure alone can most certainly lead to spiritual weariness and all manner of other problems. Truly trusting the Lord and not your own wisdom, not your own ability to figure it out. Not, not, not what you visibly see with your eyes. You know, when you're backed up to and hemmed in next to the seashore line, and on the other side, all you see is dust from the chariot wheels of your enemies closing in, and there you are sandwiched in between the two and surrounded by what appears to be no good choice. Surrounded by what appears to be certain death, the only choice is do I want to die by sword or by drowning? You can either fret and panic, which will wear you down in a hurry, or you can trust. You can stand back and see the salvation of our God. We can can so easily talk about faith and trusting and just become cliche talk. But so much of life is answering this question, who and what are you really going to trust? I've found myself in in multiple ways at multiple times over the last few weeks saying, I don't know. I just don't know the answer. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I, I don't... Know about you, but I don't like being in that place. Then I ran, ran across a favorite old song of mine. Um, I cast all my cares upon you. It was written back in the seventies. I think it's been more recently popularized by Shane and Shane. I love it. Just really heartfelt simplicity that flows out of First Peter five, verses six and seven. It goes like this. Lord, I cast all my cares upon You. I lay all of my burdens down at Your feet. And any time I don't know what I should do, Lord, I cast all my cares 
upon you. And you know what? That's a weariness weed killer right there. If you can do that. There's more I could say. Let's move on to the second point. The last two points are much shorter, but the consolation of the verse. Second reality to remember when sowing to the Spirit. When we're in the process of sowing to the Spirit and weariness shows up at our doorstep, Paul would have us be reminded of this precious, priceless consolation. In due season, Christian, you shall reap. You will. Paul hasn't departed from farming here or sowing and reaping. Why does Paul say don't grow weary to the Christian? Because a day of reaping is certain to come. And the doer of good, wrought by the Spirit, for the one who is sowing to the Spirit, that is absolutely wonderful news. They're not laboring in vain. They're not waiting in vain. They're not sowing in vain. In due season. Everything has a season. It's another thing, a created reality. There's a reason why God gives us four seasons. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Not everything happens at once, right? There's a planting season. There's a growing season. There's a yielding season. There's a harvesting season. There's a process. There's time. And when that time is met fully, then there's a harvest to be had. Even within the plant world, you know, we were looking at one time trying to maybe grow an avocado. I like crepe myrtles. You know, crepe myrtle, you can, it can flower within two years. Sometimes it can take a, an avocado tree five to ten years before it yields any kind of fruit of avocado. It's a long time to wait to eat an avocado. But my, it's worth the wait. Fruit bearing varies. Seasons vary, but they do come. And likewise, the Lord purposely designs our sanctification that way. There is a process. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's not all at once. There are different seasons. There's seasons of sun. There's seasons of cloud and, and rain and, and wind and all these different seasons of God using difficulty and blessings in our lives to fertilize and mature us. And Just like the tree needs the sun and it needs the rain and it needs the wind, so do we. We do. Every season, every trial, every disappointment, every discouragement, every test, they answer this ultimate question, are you going to give up? Are you going to allow this to mature you and make you fruitful? You know, the trees grow best and most and are strengthened more by the wind that bends them over. Thinking if I'm a tree, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the stormy winds. But it's the most productive time for the tree. It really is. You going to throw in the towel, Christian? You going to come this far and then bail? Are you like the farmer who survives the drought going to say, it's plant or die? I'm going to keep planting. I'm going to keep sowing to the Spirit. I'm going to keep trusting the God who created all things for the harvest yet to come. 
I'm going to trust God that there is a due season that lies ahead that will not disappoint. And it will not disappoint, brethren. Faith must, lo- faith must lay a hold of that which is due. It's a faith issue. We plant, we water, we labor, we pray, we fast, we evangelize, we pour out love upon the dry and thirsty land, waiting for the ground just to break forth its first little leaf. Something. Let us see some life. Waiting to see something happen. And thank God we we have been privileged here to see some buds come forth and, and, and a little fruit here and there and some, some souls redeemed and saved and, and growth happening in people's lives. I, I thank the Lord for that. Praise God for that. But brethren, there's a day coming. <laughs> We're going to live in the full flower of life and the full manifestation of God's glory, the fully blossomed flowers of God's glory that are eternal, never fade away. They're not going to fall when the weather changes. There ain't going to be no change in the weather. Forever. Forever fruit. Bursting forth through all eternity. That's what awaits us. Brethren, it's then we're going to see Him face to face, beholding Him in all His glory. And it won't be a glory that consumes you. It will consume those who are unbelievers, but it won't consume you. It won't make, it won't cause you to disintegrate. You won't be calling upon rocks to fall upon you. His majestic holy glory will not repel you. It will draw you and it will receive you with open arms to those who wait and trust and a whole boatload of other blessings to boot. There awaits the faithful sower, says Peter, an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Yes, you. It's certain. And it's something you're adding to even as I speak right now and you obediently seek to hear and apply God's Word you're planting one more of those beautiful eternal flowers or adding one more fruit-filled tree to your everlasting grove or alongside those untold riches and treasures of that, that, that picture I tried to paint in the last message. But it's all in God's timing, you see. It's all when He says, reap. It's time to reap. Until then, it's a time of labor. A time of trusting. Night is coming when man will work no more. But for now, it's a time to get planning. And as Christians, God calls us, brethren, to warfare, to cross-bearing, to cross-clinging, to utter dependence upon Him. All of these things working in us, a sanctification of pruning away of selfish pride, of strengthening the trunk of our faith, of trimming back our unbelief, making us more thirsty for His living waters and anchoring our roots into His precious promises like this one right before us, in due season. That's the promise. It's coming. It's happening. And nothing can prevent it from happening except except we give up. Which leads us to the last point, the caution of this verse. It's a caution of giving up. 
that last phrase of verse 9, the big if clause, if we do not give up. Perhaps this point should be the catastrophic result of quitting. Anybody here ever wanted to quit the Christian life? Didn't we sing it? Prone to wander. You quit sowing to the Spirit, you don't reap what doing good reaps. Eternal life. You reap what evil reaps. Corruption. That is the clear implication here. Yes, ultimately that would reveal reveal the true nature of the sowing, but forget about trying to reason this thing out theologically. Paul's seeking to hit us between the eyes with something here. You quit, it's over. You quit, you lose everything. And Christians don't have the option of quitting. They don't. That's who Paul is addressing here, Christians. Paul's not addressing one who's looking to to live their life pleasing self, living for self, or contextually speaking in the letter, one who's looking for spiritual completion by carrying out some legalistic performance of the law. No, this is... This is Paul addressing Christians. Christians who are given to doing good for their Savior. The good Paul speaks of here flows from the life of Christ in His his own people. This is one gladly submitted to the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They want to please Him because they love Him. I mean, they're looking to apply chapter 5, verse 6 in in, in a faith that's working itself out in loving acts towards others. They're they're looking to actually fulfill chapter 5, verse 14 in loving their neighbor as their self. This is one who's who's striving to walk by the Spirit, to, to be in step with the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit, not their own flesh all so that they might bear the fruit of the Spirit. But it's gotten tough, you see. There's been some disappointments. People have let you down. Dare I say, God has let you down. There's been some discouraging trials. Providence has brought a frowning face. That's not... Just a song. It's the reality. One blow after another blow has you reeling and tottering and ready to faint. You're not wanting to quit. But you, you need something to help keep you pressing on. This is a word to weary Christians. Don't grow weary. Don't stop doing good, brethren. Don't stop doing good only because it's, it's produced unwanted results or, or bad results or maybe no results. Okay, so, so the good you're doing, maybe it hasn't been appreciated. Maybe, maybe it hasn't been received well or perceivably not done any good whatsoever. You're not getting the results you want. You, you're, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Maybe you've been here before multiple times and you feel exasperated. I mean, what's the point? I mean, I've tried, I've burned, I've crashed. You know what? Scripture says the righteous man falls seven times and he gets right back up. Get up, wipe off the soot, 
get right back into it because the righteous do not quit. They don't quit. God's people aren't quitters. You can't quit because Christ is too worthy to quit. And if He's not too worthy to quit, then you're not worthy of Him. Let us not grow weary. That's the command. How do we obey that? I mean, how is don't grow weary supposed to help me not be weary? And what if I'm already there? Now, I don't find don't grow weary particularly helpful if I've already reached the point of weariness. How do I, how do I prevent weariness? I mean, how do I get rid of it or not allow it to get rooted in the soil of my heart or my life? Paul doesn't tell us, does he? But there is one who does. The author of Hebrews. So I'd like to close our time just briefly looking at this very straightforward, simple instruction. Please turn to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he just finished that great chapter of 11, the hall of faith. Since we have those witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There it is. The solution that the Bible gives in preventing us from growing weary. Two words. Consider Him. Is that not good enough? Brother, sister, you most certainly will grow weary when and if you stop considering Jesus. You will. And just coming to church doesn't, isn't considering Him. To, to stop considering Jesus is like stopping water that contains all the nutrients your roots need to follow Him. The very thing you need to bear fruit, the very thing you need to keep doing good and keep doing good in a good way. Not just formality. I planted a two-year-old crepe myrtle back in the end of March, I think beginning of April. And it really flourished. I mean, it, it enjoyed all that, that rain we got in April and in May. This thing started growing, taking off. And, but something happened <laughs> when we got to the dearth that became June. And this thing was budding already and blooming flowers. I mean, his leaves were up and the colors were bright. And then it got drier and drier and drier. And the colors started fading. And the flowers fell. And the leaves went down. It looked like it was wilting. 
I added two gallons of water to that thing, and I went back outside. Two, two hours later, boom, those leaves were up. I was surprised by the reaction of that. And I, I've planted these things before. This is a different brand, but species. I don't know. What, what's, the, what's the word there, Douglas? And uh, so I, hadn't had, I hadn't planted this one before, but I found that to be a continued cycle. I, I got it down to about four days, and then it just goes boom. And within two hours, it responds to the water. And I thought, man, what a spiritual picture this is. I mean, we're the tree. Jesus is the water. With Him, we flourish. We're up. We're shining. We're bursting forth with, with flower. Without Him, we wilt. Weariness, brethren, is possible. But so is its dismissal. And there's only one means of removing it or preventing it in our lives, and it's Jesus. Considering Him. And brethren, that, that takes intention. You know what it takes? It takes a determination to bust through all the familiarity. The one thing about when you grow as a Christian, you become more familiar, and it's a sad reality of our humanity. You know, you get lulled to sleep. It doesn't impact you. It doesn't move you. I mean, the reality of some of these songs we sing, we don't, we don't have us busting out of our seats with joy and excitement and hallelujah, but why doesn't it? Because of our flesh. Because of what we are. It, it takes time. It takes determination. It takes prioritizing. But you know what? It carries with it a consideration of Him. It carries with it a sure and steadfast result. Life. It does. Notice though, just shortly, notice how we are to consider. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. Consider Him who endured. Jesus endured. He persevered. He he didn't quit. Right? And and look, look what He endured against. Sinners. Hostile sinners who were against Him. Those who were contrary to Him. Those who opposed Him. Those who were His enemies. How and why did He do this? Verse 2 tells us, for the joy that was set before Him. Like you, Christian, Jesus too was looking toward that eternal day. That day of reaping. The day when He will reap the pleasures of eternal joy fully expressed over all those from whom He would lay down His life for. See, Jesus was upheld by a future promise being fulfilled. He was upheld by a far greater expectation that awaited Him. The reward of His suffering the joy and satisfaction of the seed of Abraham fully redeemed, fully realized, and made like him. That joy kept him going. That joy kept him from weariness. That joy kept him in being faithful and obedient to the Father. We have to have that same higher aim as Christians. That same kind of expectation for the joy of being our Master's reward, right? 
for the pleasure of entering into His glorious presence once and for all, forever. Hope anchored in that expectation will kill any kind of unwanted root. See, weariness will find no place, no home in that type of soil. See, our, our great problem is, is it, it tends to stem from this. Our, our expectation being set upon a certain kind of response when we do an individual good, right? A reciprocation of the good. Or, or a certain kind of result from a situation when, when, we're, when we're seeking to do what's good. Our good doings being rooted in the soil of temporary outcomes and not in the soil of etern- eternal realities. Consider Him. He's the ultimate root killer to weariness. And He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you have faith sitting here today, He founded it, He authored it, and He's going to perfect it. He's going to complete it. Brethren, don't, don't labor with your hope set upon reciprocating results. Yes, it's nice when, when you get that, right? It's nice when people express appreciation. It's nice when you feel what, what you desire. You know, you're doing good. You're desiring something. You have a burden for somebody's soul. You're trying to show them the love of Christ. You're hoping it's going to be, there's going to be some kind of response that's going to glorify Christ. They're going to, be, they're going to become a believer. That, that love of Christ is going to do something. It's going to break down. It's going to be transformative. It's going to be used of God in an effectual way. But you know what? Don't serve with that intent, being fixated in that intent. Serve because this pleases my Master. This, this, I, I want to do it for the smile of God. Labor for the joy that's set before you of what you're about to enter into in just a few short days. Labor for the smile of the one you're pleasing by simply doing what you do. Brethren, don't grow weary. Keep doing good and leave the results to our Father. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You that when weariness does show up at our doorstep, Lord, You don't allow it to grow roots. I thank You for the perseverance of Your grace. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You, Lord. You meet us with Your Word and Your providence through Your people and different... Lord, using different means to give us exactly what we need. Lord, to give us energy and fuel and a refocus for the next leg of the journey. Lord, encourage Your people, I pray. Bless Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.